Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good evening. It's, it's nice to be with you. If I've not met you formally, I would love to do so afterwards, but my name is Zander, so for now, just go with that. You will find out a bit more about myself as I go through the sermon, as I usually tell um, a few exposing stories for you to feel comfortable or disgusted with me, whichever one you choose. But um, I'm excited to be spending time with you. We have just maybe before we dive into the sermon, for the Adopt a Student Initiative, if you would like to either adopt a student or two, or you would like to be adopted as a student, um, we will have two clipboards sent around um, around about now-ish, I think. Um, somewhere during, oh, it's already going around. So just um, make sure if you want to be adopted, there's one sheet for I want to be adopted. If you want to adopt, um, there's a different sheet for that. So fill out your details and we'll make the connection for you and make sure that you have a good weekend with the family and great food and friends. Now we are currently in a series called Disciple Shift, as you can see, which is an annual series that we do where we dive into a bit of the nitty-gritty with regards to Christianity, and we trust in God to make a shift in us as a Doxedeo family. And so we, for this series, we're sort of removing the red tape of Christianity a bit, and we are looking at what is Christianity all about. When we look past all the um, disciplines and the traditions and the religious activities, what really is behind or at the core of this thing that we call Christianity. And so last week, we spoke a bit about how Christianity really started out as a group of people being devoted to a certain way of living that was determined by a person whose name is Jesus. And so all of these disciplines and religion and traditions actually flowed from a place where people had the desire to follow a person, and all of the activities that they did was motivated by love love for that person. So last week we kicked it off by speaking about how we as Christians are devoted to the Word of God, to the Bible, to the apostles' teachings, but how our devotion to the Bible is not merely to be devoted to a book. It is motivated by love for a person. And so tonight what I want to speak to you about is something that, as Dr. Ray, we feel very passionate and very strong about, and this is the thing of being devoted to fellowship. In other words, being devoted to community, being devoted to church, being devoted to what we're experiencing here tonight. But again, our devotion to church is not mere a thing of performance. It's motivated by love for a person. It's motivated by our desire to follow a person, and his name is Jesus. Now, I want to start off with a question tonight. There's a saying that goes, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Okay, show me your friends and I will show you your future. So if your friends then are an indication of where you will end up, where will you end up? Take 30 in heaven, Sam says, then you have good friends. Some of, our, some of us are like, I don't want to even turn my head to look at my friends now, but I'm going to make you. So take 30 seconds, quickly discuss with someone next to you. If your friends determine where you will end up one day, where will you end up one day? It's not just heaven or hell. 
Anyone feel like they will end up like in hospital, maybe? Psychiatric institution, prison, I'm hearing prison here in front. Okay, but this is the reality that you and I are faced with. We all know that if you want to be devoted to something, if you're aiming for something in life, one of the key factors to you reaching that something is surrounding yourself with people that will motivate and encourage you to get there. So if you are aiming to do well in, in a sport, you need to surround yourself with sporty people. If you want to lose some weight, you might not want to befriend the person who basically owns half of McDonald's. Right? That might not be a good friend. If you want to lose weight, don't surround yourself with people who want to gain weight. Okay? It's just common sense. But our friendships, the people that we spend most of our time with, determine where we will end up. Studies have shown that the health of your peer group is one of the strongest predictors to your own health and longevity. <laughs> There's sort of a concerned group just in this general area. So again, look at your friends to see where you will end up one day. Now, how many of you grew up with your parents very often saying, you got the wrong friends? Anyone? So I guess you are the wrong friends, okay? That's what I was just about. Sam, <laughs> preach it, girl. You're, you're in a good space. The Lord, the Lord is here. He will help us. But the reality is, oftentimes our parents saw a change in behavior in our lives. And because of that, they would say things like, you need to get new friends, okay? You, you are, you are mingling or, or mixing with the wrong crowd. You have the wrong friends. Because we all know, and we've all experienced this, that your friends in a group has the ability to make you do things that by your own, you will not do. I remember my friends convinced me to go to my girlfriend's house when I was in school in my underwear. To this day, for some reason, her dad was not too, too happy to see me pitch up there. But th that, for instance, is something that I would have never done on my own. But because of the friends that I had, because of the hype and the psych in the group at the moment, they convinced me. And thinking back to it today, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed by it. But they convinced me to do something that I would have normally not done. And so when we look at Scripture and when we look at Christianity and the history of the church, we've seen the exact same notion repeating itself. Where when it comes to Christianity, God is saying, I designed you to be influenceable, if that is even a word, <laughs> by your peers, by the people that you spend most of your time with. There's a Christian that lived very long ago. His name was Charles Spurgeon. And he said the following with regards to this. He says this, Give yourself to the church, you that are members of the church. Have not found it perfect, and I hope you feel almost glad you have not. If I had never joined the church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, 
If I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would have never, for it would have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. And then he goes on to say, all who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on earth if it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone, and then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. So he's basically saying this. If you call yourself a Christian, the obvious next step is join a church. And when you're looking for a church, don't look for a church that is without faults. Don't look for a church with perfect people and only perfect people. But if you so happen to find a church that is perfect, make sure that you do not join it because in you joining it, that church will become imperfect. And then he says, in order for you as a Christian to survive, to flourish, not only do you need to give yourself to God, but he says, as speedily as possible, give yourself also to God's people, to this, to community, to church. You see, community, what we're experiencing here and what we're doing on Wednesday evenings or Tuesday evenings at community group is a biblical non-negotiable. God did not make the suggestion to you to maybe find a church if you feel like it. God is saying, if you belong to me, the only way that you will be nourished in your faith is by joining a family of believers, is by forming part of a community. Because discipleship is not an individual task. See, no Christian is an island. The model that Jesus gave for us of discipleship was always including of other people. It was always a partnership with other people. So my question to you tonight would be this. Have you given yourself speedily, not only to the Lord, but also to his people? And my question to you is, have you allowed other people, other believers, to come so close to you that they will notice when something about you is off? There's a story in Scripture where a paralyzed man, as Jesus is busy preaching, a paralyzed man is being lowered through the roof in order for him to meet and be healed by Jesus. But you know how that paralyzed man got there in the first place is his friends brought him. It wasn't his decision to make. His friends knew that something about him was off and he needed Jesus. I want to tell you, if you're surrounding yourself with people that will literally carry you and lower you through a roof to bring you to Jesus, you're found amongst the right people. We need to be befriended by people who will know when we need Jesus and lead us there and take us to Jesus. See, when God created everything at the very beginning, he said this, let us make man in our image. Let us. So in the beginning, there was not one individual, there was an us. 
There was a community of like-minded people. God within himself is a community. Why would we think that you and I can, as Christians, thrive isolated on our own if God himself, the Godhead, the God that you have given your life to and that you serve today within himself is a community of more than one person? See, not only that, but when God created Adam, Adam was not only alive even for 22 verses before God made this observation and he said this, it is not good for man to be alone. And this does not mean it's not good for men to be alone. Okay? That word man includes the ladies. Ladies say amen. amen. God made this observation about you that it is not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone as a Christian in this world. You need people to surround yourself with. See, when I came to faith in Jesus, I remember my one biggest desire was this, that I would have like-minded people that I can share my story with, that I can journey with. And I remember I was praying in my bed one evening, a simple prayer where I asked God, Lord, give me one person. Just save one of my friends so that I have someone that I can relate to, that I can share this newfound faith with. In that week, God saved six of my friends, and all of a sudden, I was surrounded by a community of like-minded believers, and I started thriving. I started growing in this newfound faith of mine. See, I found throughout of my life feeling more at home with Christians whom I've known for two hours than unbelievers whom I've known for years because there's something of a like-mindedness that we share in. We're aiming for the exact same thing. We're aiming to follow the person of Jesus. We've devoted our lives to the person of Jesus. And so if we've all made that commitment, our behaviors will encourage each other to run hard after God. Sociologists have found that mankind cannot help but form communities wherever they go. It is within our nature that wherever intent or interest overlaps, we form communities. Think about back to when you were at school. There was always the, the cool kids. I don't know who decided that they are cool and if they said about themselves that they are cool. And then there were the group of, of uncool kids and then there were the jocks and then there were the cheerleaders. Then there were the, the smokers or the drug addicts or whatever, or the dropouts or, or the, the academic superior people. But we, we started forming. We cannot help but form these little communities within our environments. And even, even those people who said, I do want, don't want to be part of the establishment, I'm anti-establishment within themselves, form a community where they are anti-establishment. You cannot but form communities wherever you go. But the interesting thing about this study is that it found that for some other reason, 21st century churches struggle to make this happen naturally. They struggle to form a strong sense of Christian community just by accident. It almost seems like there's something working against churches forming community of believers where we share interests, we share common goals. 
See, the theory, there's a theory in sociology that they call mirroring, where they've actually found this theory is that you learn more about yourself by looking at those who surround you. In other words, there's, there's a piece of who you are. There's a, there's a piece of your identity that you will not find unless you plant yourself in community. And I'd like to believe that it's the exact same thing with our Christian walk. There is a huge part of the calling and the direction and the purpose of God for your life that you will guaranteed miss out on if you do not plant yourself in the community of believers. If you, as Paul wrote, neglect the gathering of the saints. See, there are, might be things working against you. There might be something in your story where you've been part of church before. But something has, has managed to destroy the, the kind of fellowship that you experienced. We read stories of, of Paul, previously known as Saul in Scripture, where it was his life's mission to destroy the coming together of other believers. It says in Acts 9 verse 1 to 2, it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So it wasn't like he strongly suggested they don't get together. It was like he was killing and imprisoning all of the believers that got together, that shared community, Paul believed that it was his life's mission given by God to make sure that community of believers never flourish in the environment that he found himself in. And then it says, he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he was sanctioned by his government to destroy the gathering of believers. There's a part in Acts where Paul is actually witness to one of the first times a Christian got stoned. Okay, not like... <laughs> not like that kind of stone. Literally killed, okay? Killed with, with stones. And Paul, it says in Scripture that he was witness to that. He celebrated that. He made that happen to destroy and to break up community of believers. Now, in our context, maybe there, there aren't those stories for us. Nobody in our environment or, or from our government is in such an aggressive way necessarily trying to break up the gathering of believers. But I do believe that there are things in our culture that are enemies of community. The first thing that I believe is consumerism. It's where we come to church looking for how can this church family serve me and fulfill my needs. And if I don't find it in this family, maybe I'll find it in the next. And if I don't find it in the next, maybe I'll find it in the next. And then you never find what you're looking for because you are looking for a perfect church which doesn't exist. But I want to strongly encourage you tonight. If church for you is a place where you sit and receive but never give, it's a dangerous place to be. Not for us, for you. It's a dangerous place. If I consume, but I never invest. But as a church, I believe that we are limping if your gift is not brought 
and invested in this family. I want to encourage you, if you have been visiting this family for a while, if you have been coming here week after week, and we've been blessing you, the sermons and the worship and everything has been a huge blessing to you, I'm very thankful for that. I'm really thankful that this ministry is causing you to grow, but I want to strongly make the invitation, jump in. Get your hands dirty. Become part of this family. Plant yourself in community. Start serving in an area where God has gifted you to serve. Join a community group. Start a community group. But plant yourself, root yourself amongst like-minded believers. And then the second enemy of community that I believe is very prevalent in our culture is this mindset that says, I love Jesus, but I don't like his church. And this might be caused by, by you getting hurt in church, the church disappointing you in some form. It's this notion where my faith is private and it's a personal thing where I can function as an island on my own and I don't need other people. And I believe as young people, as millennials, that what social media has done, what WhatsApp has done, is it gives us a false sense of togetherness. If we've had a proper conversation or exchanging of voice notes over WhatsApp, it feels like we've connected with someone. If we've seen their profile on Instagram or Facebook, it feels like we know what's happening in their lives, but it's given us a false sense of community. It's a counterfeit community. And those things are use useful and it's beautiful, but it can never replace what we have here tonight. It can never replace face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact where we get into the nitty-gritty of what's really going on beneath the surface of one another's lives. See, we as a church need to be able to say that there's a very unique way that God reveals himself only when we get together, only when we gather as believers. See, there's no Christianity without church. Christianity cannot exist. It cannot flourish without church. When Paul has this encounter with Jesus, where up until that point he's been persecuting the church, he's been breaking up the gathering of believers. On his road to Damascus, Jesus encounters him, and he has this vision where Jesus poses this question to him. He doesn't ask him, why are you persecuting my church? He asks this question, why are you persecuting me? See, I believe that God, that Jesus, sees church as an intricate part of who he is. He calls it his body. If you walk down the road and you see a head hopping down the sidewalk, it'll completely freak you out, right? If you see an eyeball hopping down the street, if you see a hand walking down the street, on it's, it's weird. But somehow, in church, as the body, it's normal when the body is broken up. When an eyeball is hopping down the church, we're like, hi, cool, how are you? <laughs> to which head do you belong? No, that head across the street. Uh, oh, cool, are you going there again on Sunday? Yeah, I'm going there, but I'm chilling on my own for now. It's weird. It's odd. And in the same way, it's weird. It's odd when we as Christians, as parts of the body, find ourselves separated from the body. It's odd. It shows a picture to the world that is completely out of place. 
It speaks of dysfunction. So there are three things that I want to end with tonight. Things that we see as models for ways that Jesus did community. For ways that Jesus brought together believers. The first thing is that he shared meals with other people. He ate with other people. My question to you is, are there other Christians who know what you're really going through? Are you allowing people into your home? Are you sharing spaces with people where they can see exactly what's going on in your life? How often do other believers come into your home or come into your room? See, always when we have community group on a Wednesday evening at our home, when everyone leaves, there are crumbs on the floor, there are dishes to wash, but those are signs that we've been with people. And I'm trusting that every single time we share that meal, we have community at our place or whoever's place, that there are crumbs of impact left over in my life. That there are almost dirty dishes from other people that have come close to me. Where they start impacting my life. And I become more like Jesus. Because it's how God intended it to be. Number two, Jesus shared stories with other people. And other people shared their stories with him. My question to you is, do you talk to others about what you think and feel and do in your relationship with God? We all, every single Wednesday, we start our community group by asking, are there any stories of God's goodness in the past few weeks? Are there any testimonies of what God has done? And we share and we buy in on one another's stories because it binds and it, and it builds community amongst us. And then finally, Jesus shared himself with others. Jesus always invited others to partake of him. There was always a glimpse of the kind of life that Jesus promised that people had a taste of. And I believe as we get together as community, as believers, there's something of a taste that we should leave in people's mouths. But of the taste of the kind of life that Jesus promises every person who puts their faith in him. See, this is what a healthy family is. It's where we see one another's dirty dishes. It's where we leave crumbs in one another's homes. It's where we hear one another's stories. It's where we eat together, we share life together, and we share Jesus together. And you know what happens in a healthy family. When family gets together and relationships are healthy, new babies are born into that family. And they grow up. And the family starts expanding. I want to tell you tonight what we have committed to building here at Doxadeo Central is a family, not an organization. We're not hoping for numbers for the sake of growing an organization. We want to build a family. And I oftentimes say this, that the church is one of the few places where visitors can become family. And that is my prayer for us. Eventually, Paul gave his life for fellowship. He gave his life for the preservation of family, of community, of believers. And he writes in Ephesians and he says that God is building us up together. We are being knit together. 
and being built up in the perfect bride that Jesus will come back for one day. I remember the day that I got married. When I saw Anel for the first time on that day, I couldn't do anything else but weep. I just cried. Because there was such beauty, there was such anticipation for that moment, and I believe God, Jesus, has the exact same excitement and anticipation when he thinks of his bride. And we are his bride, being built up, being prepared for that, for that day. I'm going to ask Yaku to come to the front. So I realize this, is, this might not be a simple message for you. It might be that there's a lot of baggage, a lot of history with regards to your experience of spiritual family. You might have been planted in spiritual family. You might have gotten hurt or been disappointed in spiritual family. Maybe you've, you've never really given yourself to spiritual family. Maybe tonight you have to make that decision to give yourself completely head over heels, jump into the messiness of family. Or maybe you're sitting here tonight and it's really hard for you to become vulnerable. It's really hard for you to expose your weaknesses to other people. And your challenge is to open up your life and let people come in and see what's really going on. And so we're going to create a moment right now where Yaku is just going to play on the guitar. And I want you to take a moment and to think where you are at. Maybe you're sitting here and you are planted and rooted in community. You've allowed people to come very close to you and to see what's really going on beneath the surface. Maybe you just need to say again tonight, I'm in it for the long run. Or maybe you're sitting here tonight and you've been visiting a few churches and your experience has been this church does um, cell groups or community groups, that church does, does social events and all of these things, and you're sort of in the middle, you're, you're really not sure which one to pick. But my encouragement to you tonight would be not that that church does community, but I do community. I need community. It's who I am. I'm part of the family, the household, the bride of Christ. So we're going to have a moment where we have two stations here in the front with um, paint and there's some wet wipes as well. And the invitation tonight is if you, if you are saying, I want to be in community. I want to say yes to community. The beautiful part of community, but also the messy part of community. I want to invite you, as the music is going to be playing, to come to the front to just put your thumb into the paint and to just put your thumbprint in one of these letters saying, Lord, I'm saying yes. But I don't want you to do it because it's a nice thing to do. I want you to do it because you're really saying yes to community. You're saying yes to allowing people to get close to you. So I want to pray for us before we go into that. Father, I want to thank you, Jesus, that you have called us and you have saved us into family and into community. 
what we are saved into is so much more important than what we are saved out of Jesus and tonight we want to say yes not only to you but to your people and tonight we want to say as speedily as possible as passionately as we gave ourselves to you we also want to give ourselves now to your people And Father, I pray, Jesus, if there might be hurt, there might be disappointment towards your church tonight, God, I pray, won't you cause us and grace us to forgive and to say yes to community once again in Jesus' name. I want to invite you, if you want to say yes to community, to step up here and to put your thumbprint saying, God, I'm in it for the long run. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.